Hi, this is Tom Brevoort, and you are listening to the Captain America Comic Fans Podcast. Greetings, Cap fans, and welcome to episode 35 of the Captain America Comic Book Fans Podcast. I am your host, Rick Verbanis, and as always, I am joined by the best co-host out there, Bob Lucius. Bob? <laughs> Rick, 35? Hold on, Bob. I didn't say hi yet. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> it's good to be here, Rick. I'm, I'm still stunned. 35? That's like as many episodes as years old that I am, give or take 20, yeah, give, or, give take. or take 20. Yeah. You know what? When I hear 35 and I think of comic books, I think of cover price of 35 cents. Cause I think that's around the time that I remember start buying comics off the spinner rack. Right. And do you have a guess at what year a 35 cent cover price comic would have been? Gosh, man, I had to have been around. I don't know. I, I mean, it's, it seems to me they were still 35 around 78 or so when I started. That's a good guess. That's a, that's a really good guess. It would be in 1977. 77. 1977, uh, they were 35 cents. Actually, I think they did like the, these 35 cent variants. Right. Right. Yeah. So you you might have had like 30 cents. And then some of these variants had like 35 cents. And of course, no one bought those. I mean, who's going to pull out the extra nickel? And then nowadays you look and you go, Oh, I really wish I did that because yeah. the 35 cent variant is now worth two or three times, four times, five times as much uh, just because of the scarcity of it. Right. Um, yeah. And I remember, I, I still remember, I remember seeing the, the little logo where it's like still 30, only 35 cents. Do you remember that? I do. I yeah. do. Yeah. Well, you know, it's great that we are uh, talking about that time period because um, we got, a great guest that is going to be joining the show here momentarily. And he started reading comics in 1973. And that is Mr. Tom Brevoort. Now, if you don't know who Tom is, you're like, yeah, I know that name, but what is he, where do I know him from? Well, as a Captain America comic book fan, you would know that name because he has been the editor of Captain America comics since 2004. So for the last 17 years, he has been the, uh, the head editor of the series, uh, as well as other uh, many, many other titles, of course. And of course, in addition to being uh, executive editor, he has, um, I think he's the senior VP of publishing at Marvel Comics. So we're very fortunate to have uh, Tom Brevoort on the show, and we're looking forward to talking with him. Yeah, Tom is, I'm gonna, I plan on giving him a little, uh, a little ribbing because uh, he is like, one of the super busiest guys in comics that I know, because I mean, you get a figure e editor of, of many, many series, right? Senior VP of publishing, but this guy it, like, he is engaged like on social media with fans. Mm -hmm. uh, he writes blogs that are, Hey, he did a great series comparing golden age cap stories to the silver age tales and suspense cap stories and sort of pointing out the similarities and differences when those stories were retold. But he, I mean, he's just a very prolific, guy um and his contributions to to the industry and uh, so this is going to be a great conversation yep so let's get to it this episode is brought to you by visit williamsburg 
In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Welcome to the show, Tom. Uh, you know, I, I think I told you we're, we're both University of Delaware graduates. Uh, our time briefly overlapped with you graduating a few years before me. Um, I think I was a freshman when you were a senior there. Um, and looking back, man, I, I sure wish I did what you had the brilliance of doing. And that was being an intern at Marvel Comics your senior year. And right. you turned that into a 30 plus year career at Marvel, uh, having, having been Marvel's longest serving editor. Um, when, when you stop and take a look back, what are your thoughts of being in the business twice as long as, as you were a fan? Um, well, I, I like it. If for no other reason, then it, it helps to pay my, uh, my bills and keep a roof over my head and, and, <laughs> and, uh, you know, all of that stuff, you know, but I, I, I don't tend to segregate it, you know, quite that way. It's a, it's a thing. Every day is the same sort of day. I gotta, I gotta sit up. I gotta come up with the best stuff I can where the, the books and the characters we're working with. And I have to deal with whatever the situation happens to be on the ground at that, at that moment. So I certainly do plenty of, of looking back and being, you know, old and decrepit now. <laughs> uh, I, I spend a lot of time trying to impart the lessons of the past onto the new younger generations of editors of the present and the future. But apart from that, it's, it's still very much the same. I still... I haven't really been to a comic shop proper in a year, given the, the pandemic situation, but I still get a box of comics sent to me every week. And if I, if we weren't in a, in a lockdown situation, I would still be going to a comic shop every week and picking up stuff off the rack new and so forth. So it's not materially all that different than it was, uh, you know, back in 1989 or, or before that. Well, you know, and, and I have to say, um, we've had writers on the show. We, we've had uh, pencilers. We've had inkers. We've had colorists. We, we've, we've, you're the first editor, um, but you're not just an editor. Um, so along with being the current and, and, and longtime editor of Captain America, um, you're also the senior vice president of publishing for Marvel Comics. So outside of editing, what, what does your role entail? Um, really, it entails overseeing the activities of, you know, a portion of the editorial staff. So, you know, it, beyond just editing the individual comics that I do, I, uh, you know, supervise uh, any number of other editors on things. Uh, I come up with ideas to fill out our publishing plan and, and help to brainstorm directions. I do creative recruiting. I, you know, I, I, I adjudicate as a senior uh, voice when there are disputes uh, among people internally. I coordinate with other departments. I do a lot of podcasts and things, a lot of, of uh, historical stuff because I know a lot of things. Um, it's, a, it's a wide spectrum, but generally speaking, most of my days are spent making comments. Rick, Rick, can I, can I break in? Yeah, sure. I, I got to ask a question, you know, cause I mean, you know, I, I did the same job for like 25 years, right? I was in the military and mm -hmm. I tell you, I was, I was ready to kill myself by the end of 25. <laughs> years, right. I mean, I, not that I didn't love it. It was yeah, a great I, career. 
here. I was like, going to say the the idea there is you kill the other guy. <laughs> <laughs> but, I yeah. think you yeah. might you might need a twenty sixth year to get it right. <laughs> but yeah, hey, thirty years is a long time, right? I mean, it's uh, you got to have a you got to love the stuff. Sure. To stay involved in something for for three decades, and I mean, I got to ask you, uh, you know, from from the get go, things change, you grow, you evolve, but like you have you you clearly continue to love this stuff because you have to love this stuff in order to be creative and to come up with ideas and to and to move the ball forward. And what is what is it about what is it about comics that, that you love? <laughs> I don't. I mean, I, you know, I don't know that I could define it that that way. I started reading comics when I was six, and I clicked with them very early on, and they've been just a constant presence ever since. You know, I never had a period where, you know, there were, there were times when I bought more or bought less uh, or, you know, my attention would be split for other things and such, but I, I never stopped uh, reading. I like the, I like the medium. I like the characters. I like the people. I like the environment. So it's, it's, uh, you know, but, but, you know, why do I like it? What's the magic thing? Uh, I can give you the clinical answer. And the clinical answer is there was a study done years ago now, back around, uh, back in the late 80s or early 90s. And what the study showed is that uh, comics are one of the few mediums that engages a, 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 an audience member, both hemispheres of their brain at the same time. And I forget which hemisphere does what, but one hemisphere actively is reading and decoding the words, while the other hemisphere is passively absorbing the visuals and, and decoding those and putting them together. Nothing else or very few thing, other things engage both halves of the brain at the same time. If you're reading a novel, you're using the language center. If you're watching a, a, a film or a streaming show or something, you're engaging the, the visual side. Uh, but but Comics are, are one of the few mediums that, that have both halves of the brain working at the same time. And there's a certain type of person for whom that sensation or that experience is pleasurable. They like it and they can't get it anywhere else. And that I think is, you know, when you, when you segregate out the people that really become longtime comic fans and read the books year after year after year for, for decades on end from people who do it for a year or two and, and, and wander away or, or who never get into it. It seems like those are people that are more predisposed to, to enjoying that, the, that, that physical sensation of neurons firing on both halves of the, of the brain uh, that you can't duplicate virtually anywhere else. You know, a, a subtitled movie is maybe the closest other uh -huh. thing that I've found. That's that's amazing. I gotta. I, I'm sorry, Rick. I'm, but I gotta follow up on that because I gotta figure out what that study was. Because you know I'm an educator now, and okay. uh, and that really appeals to me. And that's not something mm -hmm. I had heard before. But I, I'm gonna look into that. So thanks for that insight, Tom. Sure, sure. Again, I don't. You know, I I that that study was done. Like I say, out of the late '80s, maybe the early '90s. I heard about it. You know, when I came to Marvel and people talked about it then. It was it was common knowledge among you know, the, the higher up editors at that point. Um, but I have no knowledge as to who actually did the study, how it was done or, or, or whatnot. So if you can track it down, that would be, that would be great. 
Yeah, it is fascinating. And I, I hope we can track it down because just for the at the very minimum, just so I can use it to say, see, I'm not immature. <laughs> well, one doesn't preclude the other. You, know, <laughs> you, you, you can't have both. That's true. Um, so this is the Captain America comic book fans podcast. So, of course, we have to talk to to you uh, about that because uh, sure. you you are the current editor um, and uh, and. And so, but actually, you know what, let me take a step back because I don't think we've really, we talked about what you're, what you do as the senior VP of publishing, but take the listeners through what an editor does. Um, because, you know, the, the writer, the penciler, the anchor, the colorist, the letterer, you know, these roles, they're, they're pretty straightforward. I mean, um, but, but the many jobs of the editor is a bit of a mystery, I think, for many. Sure. So do you take it through, take us through a typical day or, or a week for an editor? Um, well, there is no typical week. Like you, you can't possibly sum that up in, in that way. Um, the analogy that I've been using for a long time when people ask me to describe what the job is and how it works is it's like being a combination of the coach and the manager on a sports team. I don't go out on the field and play the game, but I get to choose who does. I get to choose what positions they play. Uh, I can call a play if I want. I can swap a, a player out. I can put in a pinch hitter uh, or a designated runner. I can call for strategy. I can change the team uniforms. Um, and I'm responsible for making sure that the club is, is there at the, the stadium when it's time for the game to go on, ready to play and, and, and you know, all, all lined up and scrubbed up and, and good and ready to do the job uh, and everything in between. I'm responsible for getting them to the next stadium um and, and so forth and so that's that's an analogy that again people can kind of wrap their heads around what it is i do in a broad sense uh in any given month i'm putting out directly usually in the neighborhood of a dozen individual comic releases and by individually i really mean myself and my assistant and associate editor who work directly with me uh, and i'm overseeing you know if our if we're publishing uh, approximately 70 books a, a month, I'm, I'm sort of probably overseeing, you know, 35 to 40 of them with some overlap with other people, which really just means there are actual people that are editing them. And at different points, I'll do a readout and a pass and I'll give some, some feedback or, uh, you know, people will come to me with questions or, or things of that nature. But within that, every, every 30 days, if you're a monthly comic, you have to put a comic out. So that means making sure that you know, schedules are being generated and met. People have their stories and know what they're doing. Everybody has the reference they need that people are getting hired for all of those those various jobs all the way down to letterers and colorists. That work is coming in, that it's getting funneled to the next person, that all of that work is of a quality, uh, you know, befitting the Marvel Comics group um, and and that uh, everything is, is functioning as well as it does. And you know, looking at things like how a book is doing, how it's selling, how it's being reacted to, and then adjusting as need be uh, to the conditions of the marketplace. Um, so it's it's all of that and and more. You know, in a, in a typical day, uh, I, I think we easily go through a thousand emails. Um, for so much of this these days is done by email rather than it used to be when I started out. It was much more. You know, you do it on the phone, and we would use FedEx a lot and so forth. And now because almost everything is electronic and digital, 
it's all you know able to be processed and moved along on the computer and i can i can zap a file to someone halfway across the world virtually instantly where you know back in the day you'd have to put it in fedex and it could take two days to get to so and so in brazil or or spain or somewhere uh to be able to work on it um so it's 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 all of that stuff a thousand emails a day wow that uh i i, I gotta tell you i i i cringe when i get my 200 a day so i can't imagine <laughs> Yeah, the, it's it's not so bad if you keep up with it. The problem is if you if you take a day off. Yeah, because then you're starting at a, at a thousand email deficit. I and I love the sports analogy. It's perfect. It's dead on. As a sports guy, I totally get it and I appreciate it. Yeah, so I'm 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 the least sports guy there is. But yeah, that's a that's a language I can use to to, to let people who are not comics people understand what it is we're talking about. So you've been the editor of uh, several great cap stories over the years and i think you've been the editor since 2004 at the end of that's volume right. four that's right um so we want to talk about a few of them but but let's start with the current series volume nine uh written by uh tainahasi coates now the series has received um mixed reviews and, and i'll be honest i like to read my my monthly floppies and story arcs so yeah. I'm only caught up to issue 19 because I haven't read All Die Young yet. I'm waiting for okay. it to end, so I'm, then yeah. I'm going to read it all at once. Right. Um, but in our in our Facebook group, which has you know over 3,500 Cap fans, there tends to be split on the series. Um, right. In a recent quote, you stated, uh, after a stellar two-and-a-half-year run, uh, Ta-Nehisi is bringing his tenure of Captain America to a close with an epic finale to the story that he's been building all throughout his time on the title. So do you think fans who who may have criticized this volume for being too slow, will, will they be happy with the finale, which is due out next week? Um, I think that typically and traditionally, when a run is going on, by and large, not every single run, but by and large, that's when people are most vocal about not liking it. And when a run is over, that is when people become most vocal about liking it. You know, again, to use uh, uh, an example immediately before Tanahasi's run, when Nick Spencer was writing Captain America and writing both Captain America books, there was a lot of controversy and there was a lot of outrage and people were very upset about certain story points. Uh, but now that it's over, you don't hear anything about that. And all anybody talks about in terms of that run, if they talk about it at all, is the stuff that they like. Um, so that just tends to be the, 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 the way of things. In general, you can get runs that are that are super popular when they're happening, but it's relatively rare. Uh, most of the people that talk about uh, comics and tend to be the most vocal about them tend to be the people that aren't all that happy with them because they they are articulating and, and trying to affect change by going, why can't this be more the way I would like it to be? Um, so will people be happy? The people that don't like the run at all will be happy that now somebody else is doing it. So on that level, yes. Um, depending on who that is and what that person is doing, they may look back fondly at Tanahasi and go, "Wow, those weren't as bad as I thought they were." <laughs> um, you know, I've certainly had that happen. You know, in in the past where I've read books and and at the time thought, "Yeah, this is so so," uh, and then after the fact, five or six years, I can look back and go. I thought that was so-so at the time, but it's really better than a lot of the stuff that came since it. 
Uh, and I think that that's a sort of a natural flow to, to particularly reading uh, comics sequentially, serially as they come out, uh, because you're in the moment and there's the uncertainty about what's going to happen. It's one of the things that Brian Bendis and I would talk about every once in a while, because uh, for Brian, he did a lot of our big event series, House mm -hmm. of M and Secret Invasion and, and so forth and so on. And when any of those were coming out, all we would hear is people going, ah, this is the worst thing ever. How could they be doing this? What are they? Um, and typically, like a year afterwards, when it would be released as a collection or be released uh, on uh, you know, through digital and it was all finished, then suddenly everybody would be like, man, I love that secret invasion. That was so cool the way they, uh, and it was like clockwork. You could see it happen with every single one. And what, what was different was the anxiety was gone. Readers who were afraid that whatever was going to happen was going to change or destroy or, or twist around or, or, or alter something about the characters or their history or where they were going uh, and, and were trepidatious about it could unclench a little bit and relax and go, okay, I know this all turns out all right, so now I can read it and just enjoy it as a roller coaster ride. It's the difference between being in the middle of the roller coaster and going, ah, there's another hill over there, and being <laughs> at the end of the roller coaster going, that was a pretty cool ride. I want to ride that again. Uh, another good analogy. And I know I know Bob wants to ask you about the Spencer run in a moment, but but you brought up, <laughs> you know, with, with, with Coates' run coming to an end uh, in the current Cap series next week when 30 comes out, you know, what, what comes next? I mean, can we expect – similar as previous volumes where where the series ends and and starts with a new volume with the new creative team well the first thing that happens immediately and it happens so immediately that uh the first issue will be coming out almost at the same time is we're doing the five issue united states of captain america uh which is a, a five-part story that essentially takes all the the standing active guys that have been captain america and puts them together in a in a big uh, you know nation sweeping adventure that also includes uh, you know meeting a bunch of other people from across the the, the the land who have in one way or another been inspired by captain america and what he represents and kind of showcasing the idea that you know captain america isn't one size fits all everybody you know who, who invests in and who loves that character kind of uh, you know, likes those aspects that appeal to them, but it's a broad canvas and, and all sorts of people can find things uh, to love about what Captain America, you know, and any of the individuals who were Captain America, what they represent, what they stand for, uh, you know, how they appeal to people. After that, I can't say anything yet because we're too far out and we're not ready to announce anything. Um, okay. I will, I can, I can say you can have this quasi exclusive, nobody will care information. Uh, I can say that my last issue as editor, direct editor of Captain America will be 30. Oh. So I will be I will be done. Uh, they, I'll, it'll still be in my Avengers area. I will still be overseeing it. But my associate editor, Alana Smith, who's been the associate and the assistant editor on Cap for about five years now, will be uh, taking over as the editor. Wow. So your 17-year run as editor of cap will come to an end is that is it just time for a change or, or why, why why is that happening well it's 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 time in that um you know it's time for her to take a, a major franchise and do things with it in terms of her editorial development and, and and progression 
you know, it, this is the point where she she needs like a, what I call an anchor store. She needs a, a a big character and a big book that she can build out and make a franchise out of and and, and devote more individual time to. Um, and I have plenty of things to do. You know, even without Cap, I still have Avengers books and Fantastic Four and Iron Man and a million other things to, to deal with. So, you know, I've done it for a long time. I've done it for uh, longer than anybody else with an asterisk. And that asterisk is Cap is like the one character whose history goes back to the 40s. Right. And so, you know, if you count that Stan was technically editing it from like 1941 to 1949 and for a year and a half in the 50s. And do you count the times in between where there was no cap book? Technically, he was still the editor. Stan is longer than I am. Sure. But apart from Stan, nobody else. And I think even I haven't actually sat down and done the full math, but 17 years has got to be pretty close to how many how many uh years actively even stan was editing captain america well, so if i'm second to stan that's that's fine I'm, I'm 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 fine being the number two guy there yeah that's that that's a it's a great place to be second to uh and and we wish her well um yeah. in her new role uh as editor when 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 that uh continues so um so i guess this wouldn't be giving away too much but um issue 30 in in legacy numbers is 734 um, with the landmark 750 approaching, can we expect a temporary return to legacy number like we did with 700 or even 600? I think we'll, de- I mean, it's, it's, it, it, honestly, it's, it's too early to tell. I think we'll definitely do something to celebrate 750. Uh, you know, right now I'm in the middle of putting together Avengers 750, which is our 50th issue. Uh, issue 50 of the current run is 750 and we're doing, a big, you know, oversized blowout anniversary issue for 750, but we're not going back to that legacy number. The next one will still be 51, um, because at least at this point, and at least in that run, that makes more sense to me and to us than than reverting it again to the to the full on legacy number. Um, that said, the legacy numbers will continue to be there. 51 will also be 751. So for those of us who who uh, you know like having that ongoing uh, feeling of continuance and continuity. Uh, that'll still be represented there as well. With Cap, I I don't know. It's hard to it's hard to say because that's a little further out, uh, and I won't be the only one making that decision. You know, if we get there and and a lot of feels like yeah, there's a there's a strong reason for us to go back to 750 and and stay there and keep that going that way, then it's possible that we'll do that. But that those are conversations and, and discussions that we'll have in whatever it'll be another year year and a half. Yeah. Uh, Tom, you know, there's there's been some, well, I mean, you can't describe them as anything other than bold storytelling choices in the cat <laughs> mythos under your watch, right? I mean, we've seen the uh, we've seen the assassination of Steve Rogers at the end of Civil War. Uh, we saw the reintroduction of Bucky in the Winter Soldier storyline. We've even seen uh, Peggy Carter brought back in, in, yep. in the recent volume, right? But maybe among the boldest of choices uh, was the intro- it, its introduction of the Supreme Hydra Captain America in that infamous Hail Hydra line yes. at the end of the first issue of uh, 2016's Captain America Steve Rogers series. I mean, that story has garnered a lot of love and a lot of hate ever since. But there's no sure. disputing that it was a, a super bold move, uh, taking the whole story on an, in an unexpected and unprecedented direction. 
Can you tell us a little bit about how that came about? I mean, what was the sausage making like uh, around the suite when you guys were talking about how that was going to go? Well, that was, uh, you know, Nick Spencer had that idea. I can't remember. It's been long enough now that I can't remember whether he came with it initially or it was something that developed as we went because he first signed on to write Cap when it was just Sam as Captain America. Rick Remender had ended. Uh, you know, we went into Secret Wars. We were coming out of Secret Wars uh, and, and Rick wasn't going to be able to continue after that. So, so he signed on at a certain point. I think he had, because Steve was still a character in the book. Steve was old, old man Steve at that point. The Super Soldier Theorem had been neutralized and, and he was, uh, you know, running S.H.I.E.L.D. and, and heading up, uh, uh, you know, the espionage world. Uh, and, and, you know, there was always a feeling like at some point he's going to come back in some way, way shape or form. Um, so Nick had the idea of, you know, we'll do this story. It'll be standoff and it'll involve all this other stuff, the secret uh, uh, prison that Maria Hill has set up to rehabilitate uh, criminals by effectively brainwashing them and giving them new identities and having them live out their lives in this sort of Pleasantville-like town. Uh, and at, at the end of that, we'll use the, the Cosmic Cube, who was uh, at that point uh, a little girl, to, to, uh, to put Steve back to, to normal. But the twist will be uh, she doesn't put him back to normal. She puts him back the way uh, you know, Hydra would have wanted him put back. Uh, and so then we can set up a second, the, the second book, and the punchline at the end of the first issue of the second book will be he'll he'll throw Jack Flag out of the out of the plane, and he'll turn to the the other guy and go hail Hydra, uh, and and you know that's that's exactly you know what we what we did, and that was interesting because the whole time, and you can sort of see it right now, uh, you know the chatter is picking up again along the same lines out in the in the the, the zeitgeist out in the world since the Falcon and Winter Soldiers show just came on, uh, there was a lot of, of push and pull from people about whether or not uh, Sam Wilson as Captain America was a good idea or something that they could get behind. Uh, and, and so, you know, do, knowing that and sort of steering into that, we went, okay, how do you, how do you challenge Sam? How do you make it seem like uh, you know, put him up against insurmountable odds and let him rise to the challenge. And it seemed like, well, let him, let him fight uh, Steve Rogers' cap. Effectively, uh, let him be challenged by you know the other guy, a dark mirror Professor Zoom reverse Flash version of, but one that legitimately feels like Captain America. And that was a big enough story idea that when we first talked about it, you know, it very quickly ballooned into, okay, we won't just do that as a big Captain America story that's going to kind of have to be a bigger sort of line-wide Marvel event, and that was Secret Empire. Um, but that all started with, with Nick and with, you know, really, you know, being the arc of, uh, you know, uh, Sam, you know, going, going through that heroic journey, hitting his lowest point and, and coming back in the end to, to, to win out. Um, you know, the, the, the X factor that I think we didn't account for well enough is that if you talk to me about Hydra, because I'm an old uh, reader, you know, I've, I've been reading since, uh, you know, the, the 70s, and, you know, Hydra in the world of comics, they're a, they're a post-war organization. They're, they're, you know, fascistic and so forth, but they're a, they're a James Bond villain. They're, they're, they're a covert secret, want to rule the world, 
guys in red robes and cultists and so forth. But uh, when Marvel Studios started doing the, the films, uh, you know, they, they leaned into Hydra as a direct substitute for, for actual Nazis. And, you know, guys at studios can speak about why they made that choice or what they were doing and why they did it. Um, you know, certainly I, I'm sure that had to do with, you know, these movies are, have a worldwide audience and, and uh, you know, the, the, the history is dicey in, in terms of getting showings in certain lands and such. Um, but since they did that, a whole bunch of people who've come to Captain America and to that mythos, you know, being introduced or brought in through the Cap movies or the Avengers movies or whatever, they equate Hydra equals Nazi. And we really didn't anticipate that. I mean, you know, Captain Hydra, we always knew was going to be a shocking turn of events. But we weren't specifically going, oh, yeah, he's a Nazi in our heads. Um, but, yeah. you know, and particularly as, as people, as fans got stirred up, they kind of went out and stirred up other people, particularly other people who hadn't read the book, but who only knew Cap from the, you know, the films or, or, or whatever. And so it, it, you know, it kind of mushroomed into a much bigger thing than we anticipated that it, that it, it would. It didn't really change our plans. We kind of powered through and did the story anyway. And, and like, that's what we're doing, but it, it just meant there was a lot more outrage going on at the time and, and, and a lot more vitriol being being thrown our way. Uh, I had to cancel at least one convention appearance because there was a there was a, a death threat that our security <laughs> team deemed a legitimate death threat. Holy and cow! To, and how to get the you know the, the, the local PD involved in and so forth. Um, you know, and again, it's not like anything happened. This is all this all is all par for the course, but people uh, you know, got got really polarized by this. But, mm -hmm. you know, honestly, for all that, um, you know, I don't want anybody to be upset per se. The very fact that people were that outraged and engaged, uh, you know, to me means, oh, there's something right here. You're doing something right because the worst thing that you can hear when you put a comic book out is silence. Like if nobody's paying sure. attention or that's or, it. Yeah. Everybody's, you know, seems like they're happy they're not engaged. Uh, and so you know, I don't want to, I, I don't want to be actively, you know, provoking in a negative way. I want to do stories that, that are legitimate and make sense. And, you know, but again, when you're on the ride, you can't necessarily see where the end of the ride is. And as you're going up the first roller coaster hill, you don't necessarily know what's over on the other side of that hill. And I can understand how for a reader that could be, you know, scary. And uh, people have very strong opinions about all the Marvel characters, Captain America, you know, certainly the same thing is true of Spider-Man or any of the X-Men or whatnot. You do something big with one of these characters, um, you know, you make Doc Ock Spider-Man, say, and and people get really uh, upset about it. Uh, and it's not really until the story is over that they can kind of calm down and go, shoo, okay, Captain America's all right. He's fine. He's back. It's okay. Now I can actually just read that story as a story and either enjoy it or not enjoy it without the baggage of, Oh my God! Is this going to wreck Captain America for all time? Is this thing I love going to be forever, you know, uh, 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 considered a, a Nazi thing or or whatever? Um, so you know, it, it 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 makes it a little more fun, yeah. but wow. but it, it's it's part of the gig. Yeah, well, you're absolutely right as far as people, you know, fans are emotionally invested, right? And sure, and that's some... what you want. 
A hundred percent, you know, and, and so look, you look at our Facebook group, right? I mean, they're all emotionally invested in the character of Captain America, all love the character. Um, and, you know, to your point, when you were talking about the United States of Captain America, you know, there's, there's, it's not a one size fit all. So, yeah. you know, all the different fans have maybe love Cap for different reasons. So in some cases, people uh, saw the, the Nick Spencer run and appreciated it for its, um, intricacy and, and how, you know, the, the story behind taking what if basically Steve Rogers was a fascist, you know, or wh whatever right. the case may be, you know, and, and he's a br brilliant tactician and, and what would happen if, right. And then some are, well, not my cap, you know, don't ever, you know, associate right. that with, with my captain America. And, and so, you know, no one's right or wrong here, but uh, you certainly get a, a reaction. Um, so let's let's talk about a beloved volume that you worked on, uh, volume five, written by Ed Brubaker. Um, and and I, I want to say uh, one of the common surprises, you know, we hear from fans is regarding the art team. And when I say surprises, it's they didn't really notice at the time that the artists were shifting back and forth. Well, you know, well, the series started with Steve Epting penciling sure. and inking. Yep. And then you have Michael Lark doing flashbacks. And then you have Mike Perkins coming on and inking. And then he, then he, uh, then uh, as an alternate penciler, and then you have Butch Geis and then later Luke Ross, all of these artists seem to have a similar style for this series. And, and as an as an editor, was that by design to keep the look and feel of the series consistent, um, or or was this all thanks to the coloring of, of Frank Diamata? Um, it's a it's a little of both. I mean, any time that you need to bring in somebody to to you know play second chair or or to help out with the book, you know, you kind of want to keep it as seamless as you possibly can. You know, having Michael Lark come in early on with with Steve. You know, that was just a, a, a desperation thing. Steve and a number of those guys have been working at CrossGen before that. And CrossGen, you know, went belly up and, and suddenly they had to find new, new gigs. And my memory of it is we probably started that run of Captain America a little bit under the gun, uh, which is one of the reasons why Epting out of the gate needed help as early as he did. Um, the first issue is big, too. So, so that was a little harder to get through. And so, you know, the, the, the good news is a, a lot of those artists, you know, Epting and Butch and, and uh, you know, Mike Perkins and such, they had all been together at CrossGen. Like they'd all been mm -hmm. working together to begin with. Uh, and they do have, there's, they don't do the same thing, but there's a sort of similarity of tone or a similarity of, of value of style to what they're doing. And they were all kind of available and in the mix at the same time. So I was, you know, fortunately able to, to juggle back and forth between them. And every time, you know, we needed to bring somebody else in to be the anchor person. I had somebody there who was of a piece with, uh, you know, with, with the sort of style and tone that uh, Epting had set. You know, the further along you go, the further it drifts from that. Not that we had bad artists, but once you get to the point where like, you know, Brian Hitch is drawing it or... Um, you know, Pat Zerker or even Steve McNiven, like these are all great artists, but they, they're not as, as, uh, you know, shadow oriented uh, as, as Epting mm -hmm. is. And it's just inevitably like you, you start to drift because you just can't get people who always do exactly the same thing. But as long as it happens gradually enough and the artists are good, most readers are fine with it. 
Yeah. Um, so we just had we had the fortune of having a couple of people around in the mix at the same time who were available and who could uh, be called upon to, to keep that all consistent. And we had a couple of fill-ins by other people. Lee Weeks did one one issue, and right. John Leone did a, did an issue. Um, so and and you know they're not that far afield either stylistically. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was just you know I, I had the I had the right tools at my disposal and was able to put them in you know into play and it, it you know it worked it held together and certainly the fact that ed wrote it all and you know wrote it all with a consistency of, of approach and consistency of vision probably helped so that even you know whether it was an issue drawn by epting or drawn by lark or drawn by geis or you know any of the other guys it still kind of read and flowed like an issue of ed's captain america because ed's right. story and his pacing and his his structure of scene and so forth was always the same, regardless of who happened to be interpreting the visuals and 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 uh, you know doing that doing the storytelling component. Yeah, it, it all flowed very well, um, and you know it, it always that was always a question in my mind: was that intentional? And and uh, you know, thanks for filling us in on that. And so, speaking of volume five, um, when Ed approached you about bringing bringing Bucky back from the dead. Um, what was your reaction to that? Um, that's a long, a longer and more complicated question than, than you probably realize, but I'll tell the story anyway. I think I've told it a couple of times over the years and it's nothing like there's anything secret about it. Um, you know, the idea of bringing Bucky back was sort of in the zeitgeist even before that point. Um, you know, before I had the book, when it was with a previous editor and a previous creative team, there was a point where they wanted to bring Bucky back uh, and they pitched it. And, and for a number of reasons, uh, it didn't happen. It was, it was shot down. Uh, and, it, but, and I was one of the, the, the most vocal proponents going, you can't do this. There was a, uh, there was a, a, a meeting one day at Marvel and we were waiting for the meeting to start and myself and Joe Casada were, 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 were there and waiting for whoever it was that was going to arrive to start the meeting. And we were talking about this Bucky coming back thing. And Joe was like all for it. Anything that was sort of, uh, you know, controversial and provocative and so forth, Joe tended to like, and I was the more conservative one. And we started talking about this back and forth. And as we talked, you know, our voices got louder and louder and louder until we were like full on yelling at one another. Uh, and then somebody showed up and we started the meeting. It's not like we were angry at one another, but we were very invested in this. Um, anyway, it didn't, you know, the story didn't happen. It was, it ended up being shot down. That creative team did something else. And, you know, then eventually X number of months later, the book moved from, from there to my world. Um, that all happened in and around the time of Avengers Disassembled, when Brian Bendis was coming on to Avengers. Um, Brian was friendly with Ed. They, they lived in the same area of, of the country and knew one another. And Ed had been doing uh, Catwoman and Batman and Gotham Central and things for DC. He hadn't done anything for Marvel, but he was a huge fan of Captain America. And he told Brian, like, man, if there's an opening, I'd really like to write Captain America. So Brian called up Joe and and you know said hey I, i've got this guy ed brubaker he'd like to write captain america so joe talked to him and ed's idea was i want to bring bucky back i've always wanted to do this since i was a kid uh and joe was like delighted by this and you know all of that i i heard about you know and pieced together after the fact 
um, you know, what I remember for, for, for sure was I was in my office and Joe came in and he said, hey, I just got this call from, from Brian and I talked to this guy, Ed Brubaker. He's interested in writing Captain America. And I went, oh, Ed Brubaker, the writer of Catwoman and Batman and Gotham Central. He's really good. I like that. Let's get Ed to do this. And Joe kind of like got this shit-eating smile on his face <laughs> and was like, and he wants to bring Bucky back. And I went, fuck, I'm in trouble now. Um, you know, and he was he was so happy because this was the thing that 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 he had been arguing for in the previous iteration. And now here was somebody that wanted to do it. So, you know, the first time I the first conversation I had with Ed, I called him up and I said, Ed, like. I, I have problems with this. I have issues with the idea of bringing Bucky back. And I got a lot of them. Uh, and it's, uh, you know, we talked for a while. It's okay, well, look, write all of, it, all of your stuff up and send it to me. And I sat down and I wrote out like all of my concerns with bringing Bucky back. Some of which were purely mechanical. How is he still alive? How is he still young and vital enough to not be an 80 year old man and nobody cares? You know, how is he not like in a VA ward somewhere? If he's still alive, why does nobody know about it? Where the heck's he, he been? Uh, you know, how does basically stuff that's all how it all works. And then the other side of it was, how is this additive? You know, the idea of Bucky, the concept of Bucky is Bucky is the thing that was lost in the war. Bucky was the cost of Captain America surviving a conflict that his brothers in arms did not survive. And if you bring him back, you know, he's been this figure that has haunted Cap for all the years we've been publishing since the 60s. If you bring him back that month, it's great. Everybody's excited and supercharged and angry or enthusiastic or whatever. Three months from there, you've taken the pathos away from Captain America and you haven't replaced it with anything. What is, how is this additive? How does this add more to Captain America and make him and his world better and more inclusive than, than, than diminishing it? You know, in other words, how is it not just a stunt? How does it create lasting equity for Cap? And Edward, you know, got my email and went away for about a week and he called me back up. He said, right, okay. And he went through everything like top to bottom, all like, I think it was about 15 points I had and he just won, like he had this whole story worked out. He hit me every, every point. And we got to the end and I kind of sheepishly went, well, I guess we're doing this then. <laughs> and, and, and so, you know, we started putting this together. And again, Ed was, Ed was super, was super into it and super invested in it. Uh, and he only blinked once. Uh, and the, the point at which he blinked, uh, and, and it was only a momentary thing and completely understandable. Um, it was right before uh, the sixth issue. The sixth issue is the one where we, we, we reveal that it's Bucky. Like we've had the Winter mm -hmm. Soldier kind of running around. He's been this shadowy guy, but six is the one where it, 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 it comes out. And, and it was, you know, like we'd sent six to print, but it hadn't come out yet. And at one point, Ed, you know, was talking to me and he said, I think we made a big mistake. I think they're going to kill me for this. <laughs> they're never, I think this is where we're, we're, and I, I was kind of like, whether it is or not, you know, again, the, the roller coaster has crested the hill. We're, you're on the way down now. There's no getting off. Mm -hmm. we're, we're doing this. Um, and, you know, it, again, and it turned out in some quarters, yes. I mean, it was a, it was a dicey thing. You know, you said a, a few minutes ago, yeah, like the well-remembered, well-regarded Ed Brubaker run. 
And generally, even when it was going on, it generally was, but not always and not from everybody. And there were a couple of times in there where people were upset about one thing or another. Uh, it's just that now that was 15 years ago and that's all evaporated and what everybody remembers is, is the work and, and anybody that's come to it since then in the, you know, the collections and omnibuses and things just, you know, can enjoy it because they know how it all, it all turns out. Well, I have to say, that's a great story. I, I haven't heard it before. Um, but one of the things that impressed me was those 15 bullet points that you came up with. I mean, they were all, I mean, you, you didn't go over all 15, but, but what you brought up were excellent questions is, you know, what value does this bring to the mythos? And, and you're right. I mean, what happens, you know, with that pathos that's, you know, a month later, um, you know, you, you brought up, you know, as the editor, you know, that, that that's another example of, of basically what you do, right? And, yeah, yeah, and, that's, that theoretically is what, you know, what an editor should be, in, in my estimation, should be doing, you know, your, your, your job is to create equity. Your job is to make more of all the stuff that's there and make it broader, make it bigger and have greater appeal and wider range of appeal and make it deeper and, uh, and, and make sure that people aren't, aren't doing stories that are that are great in the short term but do damage in the in the long run or you're making you know the 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 moment the strategic decision in that moment that well we need something in the short term here and we'll, the long term will have to sort itself out because now it's time you know we need to do something like this but but uh you know it's also uh you know the it had an idea the guy had an idea and in the end, you know, he was able to, to work it far enough where that idea actually got to see print and be actualized rather than just being shut down or shut off. You know, when I'm, when I'm giving notes to somebody on any script, um, I like in most instances to try to offer a suggestion as to what could be done to remedy whatever the problem is I'm pointing to. But I tell people constantly I don't care if you use my solve or not. You know, if my solve is there or my, or my starting point for solve is there to give you some kind of a toehold into a problem uh, so that you're not just flailing and it's not just, I don't like this, fix it. Um, you know, here's, here's a way you could fix it. Here's an approach. Maybe if we did this, um, what I care about is the problem gets fixed. And so if you come back with a totally different solution and it works, that's great, you know. I, I figure most of our writers are going to be smarter and and uh, you know more adroit about doing this stuff than I am, as they should be. Um, it's also, and I point this out to people too, it's also a valid solve to convince me that what I think is a problem isn't actually a problem. That that what I what I look at and say that doesn't work. Well, yes, it does because X, Y, and Z. And that argument makes enough sense that I go, okay, well then we'll we'll try it. Okay, what what the heck? Um, nobody nobody tends to die from making comic books, so <laughs> our our stakes are relatively low. The worst thing that happens is you put out a, a lousy comic, and people don't like it, and next month you get to do another one. Um, so on that level, uh, you know, while we take this all very seriously, it's not. The stakes are not life and death, and that means sometimes you can roll the dice. And if somebody's convincing enough, or uh, you know, seems seems impassioned enough about what they're doing, you'll sometimes go, "Okay, well, we'll, we'll take a shot at that." It's not like we can't 
turn it back around next month if, if, if we need to. In the world of comics, you can do virtually anything. And it's for all that we're concerned about, you know, equity and the characters and so forth, it's, it's that, that they really are incredibly resilient and it's really hard um, to, to, to get stuff to stick to them in a bad way long-term. Um, you know, the thing that fixes any character really is one good story. Now, it's interesting. So speaking of, of life and death, fictional life and death, so sticking with volume five, when, when Ed approached you about bringing, uh, up, about killing Steve and, and then, and then continuing the series by elevating the supporting cast of Bucky, Sam and Natasha, how did that go? Well, that wasn't, Ed didn't bring that to us. That all happened uh, because of civil war. You know, we had, uh, uh, you know, and, and the, 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 the course the Civil War is a long one. Uh, and I'm going to try and break it down really quickly here. Every, every year, a couple times a year, we have these editorial summits where our editorial staff and a bunch of the key creative talent all flies in. These days, we would do it on Zoom because of the pandemic and so forth. But in those days, we would all fly in and for like three days, we would talk about all of our planning and all of our stories and things for like the next six to 12 months of Marvel Comics. And we went to a retreat. Uh, and at that retreat, uh, we were in the early planning stages of uh, what became Planet Hulk and then after, thereafter World War Hulk. And, uh, you know, Mark Panisha and Greg Pak started to talk through what they wanted to do. And the original version of that was much quicker. Like Planet Hulk was only going to be six issues and then right into World War Hulk. And everybody in the room after the first day walked away going, that, that, that this doesn't work. There's not enough, there's not enough buildup. There's not enough time. There's not enough whatever. Um, so by the, by the next day we came in uh, and, and, you know, Joe said to them, look, we're going to, we'll push off World War Hulk for a year. Um, take that year and, you know, do Planet Hulk in that time, rather than, than trying to get in and out and get in from being slave to gladiator to emperor in six issues, take whatever, however many, much time you need to get there. And once we're there, we'll do the payoff where, where the Hulk comes back and we do World War Hulk. But in the interim, now that World War Hulk's not there, we've kind of been planning for it in our budget and we, we need another big thing to be there. Uh, and I remember saying on in that day, because I had just finished doing House of M the year before, I was like, well, whatever happens here, it's not my problem, ultimately. Somebody else is going to have to put that book together because I'm done. And, you know, Mark Miller started talking about, uh, you know, the ideas that uh, turned into Civil War, because that was the, you know, mid-2000s. Uh, and those guys had all come in, you know, Mark came in through, uh, you know, one of the New York airports and came through Penn Station and so forth. And, and we would have, and still, you know, I assume we still do, I haven't been in Penn Station in a year, but, you know, we would have, you know, guardsmen there in Penn Station in full gear with <laughs> enormous rifles uh, and, and uh, uh, you know, in, in the wake of 9-11. Of and, you know, that, that got Mark, you know, who, who lives in, uh, you know, in, Scotland to, to think about like this was a very disconcerting thing for him like there are these guys and they've got freaking guns in there uh, and so that conversation turned into you know how would you feel about superheroes running around these are guys that all have powers that are like 
uh, you know, incredibly lethal weapons and nobody has any oversight and nobody has, like, we like them and we know them because we live in their heads. We read the comics, we know they're good people, we know they're, but if you were in the real world, people would be like, nope, round these guys up. Like, somebody's got to have oversight on them. You got to license them. You got to, and, and that turned into the story that became Civil War. Uh, and, and in the very earliest pitches for that, the sides were reversed. That when Mark first pitched it, he figured that Captain America would be the guy that was like, I'm, I'm pro-registration, I go along with this because it's my country and this is the law and, and I'm law-abiding and, and Iron Man would be the rebel. And I think I, I, I it may not have, it was certainly wasn't entirely me, but I think it, I was one of the people saying, no, I think that's, I think that's backwards actually. I think Iron Man is the one that goes along with it because he's the futurist and he can see the future and so forth. You know, Captain America traditionally has never been a, uh, you know, I follow, I'll, I'll follow a, an order I don't believe in kind of a character. He's been the opposite of that. He's been the guy that walks away from being Captain America and becomes nomad if, if uh, you know, there's a set of circumstances that he can't agree with. And that was more interesting. And so that ended up being where things worked out and Mark put the, the story together uh, and we had two or three retreats to talk about the ending. And there were a bunch of different versions of the ending, how this would all come out. It was going to end up coming down to this fight between Iron Man and Captain America as it had to. And, and somehow, you know, in the end, you know, Cap would realize that he had been fighting against the will of the people, like the ordinary people that were there were all supportive of this thing. And, you know, they're in the middle of this destruction and they look around and they've damaged, you know, wherever they were fighting and so forth. And, uh, there were two or three different ways that this was going to end. And one of the ways that, that was talked about or tossed up was maybe Captain America dies there. Maybe he gets killed in the last battle, and that's the thing that ends it. Um, and that wasn't actually the way we ended up going, um, because as we, you know, hashed through the story, and it was, you know, it was all of us. So, you know, Ed was, was around, and Brian Bendis, and JMS, and Jeff Loeb, and uh, Joss Whedon was there a little bit, and and you know, Greg Paco I mentioned earlier, and probably a bunch of other people I'm forgetting, plus all the editors, you know, eventually we ended up with the version that saw print. Um, and and the, the sort of Solomon-like decision we made was, okay, Civil War will end with Cap surrendering and having his day in court, and I'll make my I'll make my argument there, and then he'll be killed in the follow-up issue, which will be Cap 25, uh, which Ed will write. Um, and that was sort of how we split that, that, that baby, but that wasn't the plan. Like when we brought Bucky back, when we, when we did the winter soldier, we had no idea we were going to be killing off Steve Rogers. <laughs> and in fact, the death of Steve Rogers story was only supposed to be about six months long. Like we, he was going to be killed and we were going to immediately get to the, no, no, he's, he's been, been, you know, dislocated in time and he's doing this Billy Pilgrim thing. Uh, and that would have happened like by issue 30. And, you know, the thing that changed that really was Civil War was enormously successful. And the issue of Cap, the Cap 25 made the front page of the New York Daily News. Like it was mm -hmm. hugely successful. And, you know, we all went, yeah, we, we, we shouldn't run away from this, much like with Planet Hulk. We, we got to steer into this and go longer. Uh, and so what it was intended to only really be six months ended up being, you know, until Bucky actually puts on the, 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 the Cap uniform, it's another like, I think it's about 10 issues because that's 34. Mm -hmm. um, 
And that was us going, okay, if, if Steve's not coming back, who gets to be cap? And, you know, Ed and I had those conversations back and forth between us. You know, should it be, uh, you know, should it be Sam? Should it be Hawkeye? Should it be, you know, obviously Bucky? Uh, and in the end, uh, you know, we, we picked Bucky, uh, you know, as much as anything, because he was the one who had been the fixture in the series. And that seemed like a natural evolution and a natural thing. Uh, and that's part of why the fact that all that stuff is being talked about was part of why the the fallen sun one shots that Jeff Loeb wrote happened. Mm -hmm. um, because, you know, he, people had talked about and argued for all these different characters. And at a certain point, Jeff went, why don't we, even if we're not doing that, you know, we should make a big deal. Like Cap is dead and we should see the effects on everybody. What if we did these five one shots with big artists and, uh, you know, we got to see how everybody individually reacts to the death of Cap and, you know, in the Hawkeye one, I can propose that maybe Hawkeye could be Captain America and, you know, I can show how it affects everybody. And so that we ended up doing those and, and, and those worked out well, too. But mm -hmm. it was all, um, you know, we were again, we made it up as we went along, which is what we do every month. Uh, we just made it up more more so uh, than maybe it, it looks because we did a halfway decent job of making it all seem relatively seamless. I would say more than a halfway job. I, I It was a fantastic story and and as i mentioned before um the fact that the series continued and did well without the main character uh was a real you know credit to ed brubaker and and the team um you know to to elevate these other characters and and um you know not not miss a beat right yeah well that, that, that you know ed had again he'd wanted to bring back bucky forever and, and he was really invested in that character. So moving him into the lead role and letting him carry the shield and be Captain America and be a slightly different, you know, flavor of Captain America, um, you know, that was good. And all the prep work we had done early on where we talked about how does this build equity? How is, you know, the fact that Bucky is back and, you know, he's now this tragic figure who's got this stuff in his past and doesn't know if he can trust himself and, and, uh, you know, is also in his way a man out of time, but who's lost all this stuff and is, is sort of like a, a, you know, a soldier coming back from the, the war with, with PTSD and has these issues, gave you lots of raw grist going into sequences where now he's got to be Captain America uh, and a very different sort of a figure than the figure he's been up to this point. And can he, can he do it? Um, there's a little bit of that, of that Wally West, even of I'm, I'm, you know, I'm having to wear the boots of my, my mentor and they don't fit well, but I have to walk the walk. And all of that was, was, uh, you know, stuff that, 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 that Ed did really excellently mm -hmm. uh, in, in, in making him an ambivalent figure, but, you know, not one that was, that was hesitant in, in carrying out the, the duty of that position. So, you know, I don't want to oversimplify it, uh, Tom, but, you know, in my, I mean, I, I've been reading comics for a long time. And, and to me, there's, there's basically two types of storytelling, right? There's sort of the, the stories that entertain, they're kind of fun, they're, you know, quirky, they're, you know, engaging, they're exciting, but it's kind of like cotton candy, right? You read it and you're like, okay, that was good. And, but then there's, there's sort of the storytellings that, uh, you know, at least to some degree, they engage in some sort of social or cultural or political commentary, or there's some deeper message, right? So like Civil War, like was a perfect example, right? There's, a, there's an arc that, uh, that um, you know, that really sort of had a broader message, or, right? Or, or that, that famous, uh, you know, the first Secret Empire run uh, by mm -hmm. Englehart, right? I mean, that, there, there was sort of something going on there 
beneath beneath the surface message. And again, that's a, that's a simplification, right? Because any good storyteller is usually able to weave both those sorts of elements uh, without being too obvious about it. But is that a difficult balance to strike? I mean, realizing that comics have to sort of appeal to a very broad and diverse audience. I mean, not only eight different ages, different you know, genders, different education. I mean, the whole gambit. Um, well, it, you know, it, 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 var it varies sometimes from character to character. It's, that's a more difficult issue with Captain America than it is with, say, Iron Man. Because I could do, you know, you can't do the same story with any two characters to begin with if it's a really good story. But, you know, in the abstract, I can do a story with Iron Man where Iron Man makes a choice. Iron Man falls off the wagon. He's, he's drinking again. And, you know, that's a story about that fallible human being. If I do that same story, Captain America falls off the wagon and now he's drinking again. That takes on a completely different meaning because Captain America carries a different symbolic resonance, a different weight. Um, then, and, and, and so, uh, you know, stories that might be easy to do with a different character are, are more challenging for Cap simply because Cap represents a whole bunch of different things to a whole bunch of different people. And sure, it can be difficult. Um, you know, all of the best Marvel stories and the thing that we, we try to do with all of them is we want to reflect the reality of the world that we live in. Um, but we want to do that through metaphor, superheroic metaphor. You know, Civil War was very much a, a reaction to and a response to where people were and how people were feeling in the years following 9-11. But everything was couched in superheroic terms. It wasn't, you know, it was about the essential questions, the divide between, uh, you know, security and, and freedom, how much, how much civil liberty are you willing to give up for how much security and where where is that balance where is that line uh we just put it all in terms where it's guys in costumes who shoot rays out of their hands uh and that you know that that's a thing that that it's there but it's slightly more under the surface and that's the surface and that's a thing that the marvel books generally have always done you know you talked about Engelhart's secret empire it's entirely possible to read that story completely on the surface and not know, particularly since, uh, you know, Engelhardt couldn't actually come out and say what he was saying. You know, it's all danced around. It's all very obvious if you're in 1974 uh, and, and obvious because it's been covered a lot since, but, you know, you could just read it and go, yeah, there's a, it was a, there was a shadowy mastermind and he kills himself and that's it. And Cap is sad because he's killed himself and now he's going off and, you know, you can, you can read it on a, a wholly you know, six-year-old superhero level. Um, but if you've got the world experience, you can, you can find greater meaning and greater metaphor in this stuff. Um, and so that's what we, you know, we strive for, you know, pretty much every issue every month. And sometimes we hit it better than other times. And sometimes we don't hit it so good. Uh, and sometimes our balance is a little off. And sometimes we're too on the nose. And sometimes we're not on the nose enough. And so the message doesn't come through or comes through muddled. Um, you know, but, but uh, you know, that's, that's part of what separates the Marvel books and the Marvel characters from everybody else's. Uh, and so I don't see us really changing that, you know, we'll just, we'll just hopefully keep trying at it and do it well more often than we do it badly.
All right. Well, on a, on a sort of a related note, um, I mean, there's no doubt that creators and, and really the industry as a whole is paying a lot more attention to diversity and representation than ever before. And that Marvel is really, it's leading the way. I mean, uh, it's kind of leading like the chart. It. Yeah, I mean, it really is. I mean, you've got some great titles coming up. The Marvel Voices uh, series is doing some amazing work. And you mentioned earlier this, this idea of this five-issue miniseries, The United States of Captain America, which I'm, I'm super looking forward to this. I mean, I'm, I, I really can't wait for that one to debut. Um, and I don't have to tell you how important it is for, for readers, young and old, to see characters and heroes that look like they do. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and the renewed interest in Sam Wilson and, uh, and Isaiah Bradley in the wake of the Falcon and Winter Soldier yep. TV series um, it just shows how hungry people are to see their own faces in the faces of their heroes. And yet for some people, um, that sort of level of inclusivity and representation seems a bit forced and and almost reflexively unwelcome. You know, as a leader of Marvel, what do you say to readers who who find those efforts? Um, I don't know, some, somehow they just, they're not quite embracing them yet. Yeah, I, I you know, first off, you know, again, one of the things that I say a lot to our editorial staff is not every comic book is for every reader. You know, every month I go into a comic shop and there are 700 releases and not all of them are for me. I'm not going to buy them all. I'm not going to read them all. Um, and, and if I did, I wouldn't enjoy them all because some are to my taste and some are not. Some maybe are executed a little better than others. Uh, you know, and there's the individuals of individual taste of style and so forth. But there's material that appeals to me and there's material that doesn't. But I don't begrudge anybody doing any of the material that they want to do. If they can find an audience and, and get it to work, good on them, you know. And if they find enough of an audience, I'll take a second look and go, Either maybe I should check this out or there seems to be an audience there that's hungry for something like that. Maybe we should do something like that. Um, you know, the, the, the place where I think it becomes uh, a dicey is where people, where, where, where readers feel like doing material that's not aimed for them means that they're being sidelined or not listened to or not appreciated or not. And that's not really the case. Um, and, you know, whenever you talk to anybody about that, you know, the, the common rejoinder is like, you know, we publish 70 books a month and 50 plus of them star characters that were created in the 60s who were very, you know, middle of the road, uh, waspy white guys. It's okay to have a wider spectrum in the year 2021. Like it doesn't it does, you know, it, it, nobody's, nobody's taken your stuff away and you're no less welcome in the tent than anybody else is. We just, you know, I, I, I tend to put this in crass terms. You know, my, my prospective audience is, any, is every human being and probably a few aliens who have $4 in their pocket and want to buy a comic. Uh, that's who I want. I want them all. Uh, and, and, and I don't, you know, I don't value one above the other. And I know that that gets people upset when I say that sometimes because they go, I've been reading it since, you know, 1973. Well, I've been reading comics since 1973 too. And I don't expect, I don't know, DC to just publish books that are exactly to my taste. DC is going to do whatever they think is best for themselves and for their characters long-term. And sometimes I look at it and go, boy, that's a stupid idea. I'm not going to read that run. I don't care for it. Sometimes I look at it and go, hey, that's cool. Look at that cool thing they just did with Batman or Superman or Wonder Woman or whomever. Same kind of thing. 
it doesn't have to be about you versus them. And, and there's a definite tendency just in the zeitgeist now for, from, from everybody on all sides to tend to ascribe motivation to things. So mm -hmm. if a story mm -hmm. is being done or a character is being introduced or somebody's talking about something, you know, you'll hear a lot of fans talking about the reason they're doing it is X. Um, you know, whether that's, you know, Disney is making them do this or, uh, you know, this, they're just pandering to the whomever or they're not being representative enough of our uh, uh, you know, type of people. And, and, you know, quite often, none of that has any basis in the truth. Like the people involved in making these stories are inevitably always trying to make the best stories that they can make and make stories that are legitimate and genuine and are meaningful to them and will hopefully be meaningful to the audience. Uh, but it's very easy, um, particularly since the world is a smaller place now. You know, when I was reading comics as a kid, and I presume the same thing with the two of you, um, you know, I knew a couple of people that sort of read comics in my neighborhood, in my area, but that was about it. And we would get together and bitch about whatever was going on in, in the Hulk that month or, or, or whatever. But it was just, you know, me and two guys at a 7-Eleven, right. um, you know, whereas, whereas today, you know, the way that conversation happens is it happens online. And what that means is no matter what opinion you happen to have, somewhere in the world, there is somebody else that will share it. <laughs> Yeah, uh, and, mm -hmm. and and it's all yeah. amplified by the fact that you're you're in a in a in a you know much huger loudspeaker, and so it's much easier to find the ten guys in the world who don't like that issue of the Hulk to get together and go ah it's the worst issue of the Hulk the thing they're doing why are they ruining the Hulk the Hulk is being destroyed it's for all these reasons ah uh, and 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 for each of those guys to kind of prop up all the other guys and like my opinion is, is, is clearly legitimate and genuine because that guy feels the same way there's people around me uh, and everybody tends to go look everybody feels the way i feel well mm -hmm. you found the 10 guys that feel the way you feel <laughs> um, and 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 every group has found the 10 guys that feel right. the way they feel uh, and it's not necessarily as universal a thing yeah. You know, but the, but the, the world is smaller, the loudspeaker is bigger, and the ability to connect with people all around the globe is easier, which means it's easier to find more people who agree with whatever thing it is that you're saying. And if you're upset about something or you're not liking something, it's a lot easier to, 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 to locate those folks and then to feel empowered by the fact that you're not alone. There's other right. people that, that feel that same way. Yeah. So again, my, my, my message here would be like if 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 a, if if a comic that we're doing isn't for you, it's okay. There are other comics that we're doing. You can buy one of those, you know. Or if you really have to, I'll be sad, and it won't be any good. You'll have a terrible time. You could buy a DC book or an Image book or a Dark Horse book. Uh, I wouldn't advise it, you know. Take it with water at a doctor's recommendation. But but uh, but you know, seriously, we publish a wealth of material. You do. Yeah. And then even beyond that, there's 80 years of back issues. <laughs> yeah, right. There, right. Are, there right. are more issues of whatever, of Captain America, than you could easily read in your lifetime. Yeah. So if you're not happy with where things are right, the, right this moment, one, you know, the arc of history shows that everything will change. No matter who's working on what title at what given point, eventually somebody else will be. 
Somebody yeah. else will be editing Captain America soon. And that means it won't be the same as it was when I edited it since 2004, any more than mine was the same as the guy before me and the guy before that. And there'll be a person after Alana Smith who will edit Captain America and a person who will write it and a person who will draw it and they will do different things, some of which are not things that I would have done. Uh, but that's fine. It's just the way this stuff evolves. You know, there's a reason that TV shows aren't in black and white anymore. Um, right. You know, constantly moving forward. Constantly moving forward. Hey, speaking of which, I mean, I, I want to put in a plug. I talked to 10 other guys and we want to, <laughs> and we want to see more Isaiah Bradley uh, stories. So that's, that's, that's going to be my I plug. Think it's, I think it's, I think it's more than 10 guys right now. <laughs> it is. Yeah. Yeah. There's, a, there's a, there's a lot of interest. So Good, uh, good. You know, watch the watch the skies. All right. <laughs> All right. So, uh, last question for me. Um, so, having worked on the Cap series since two thousand four, uh, and and with the current series ending, do do you have any personal favorites? And and so, we've got volumes five and six with Ed Brubaker. Mm-hmm. We have volume seven with Rick Remender. The Sam Wilson series, the Hydra series, the. The Mark Wade redemption arc with the legacy numbering, the yep. current recent Coates series. Um, you know, for you professionally, is there any that you're just like, you know what, that one just, it puts a smile on my face that I was involved with that. Well, I, you know, this is a, this is a cop outy answer, but I like all of that. <laughs> uh, and, and, you know, part of the reason you can tell that is because I, I put it out. Like it's all it's all mine, and and uh, you know there might be individual issues in those runs that I don't like as much as others, or I don't think we hit it right, or we ran into a time crunch or something, or we just didn't execute something as as we might have, or uh, you know there's ups and downs. I think certainly you know the the biggest most popular stuff is always going to be the biggest most popular stuff. So you know when my in my uh, my obituary they're they're certainly going to say. You know, yeah, editor of Civil War, guy who did, was 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 editing the Winter Soldier stories. Mm-hmm. Like those are going to be the ones that that you know that that combination of Winter Soldier, Civil War, particularly since the two are so joined in people's minds since the the Marvel Studios films. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's that those are going to be the things that I'm 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 recalled for when everything else is burned away because they're just the, the ones that that have had at least up to this point the biggest reach beyond just the world of comics but you know seriously we didn't talk about you know rick very much but i i like rick's run on captain america an awful lot i like the dimension z story we did mm-hmm. i like the stories we did right after that with nuke and the iron nail and 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 the first uh, run of of sam uh, sam wilson captain america all new captain america with uh, with him and Stuart Iman. i loved all, all of that i loved all the work we did on uh with nick spencer on the what became the two cap books, you know, Sam Wilson and Steve Rogers, and you know, up to and including all of Secret Empire. Uh, I love working with with Wade and Somni on the, the the legacy run up to seven hundred, and then the the four parter we did after that. Uh, you know, Mark and and Leo uh, Fernandez, uh, Fernandez, uh, Leo. Shoot, I'm blanking on his name now. Cap seven hundred one to seven hundred four. Yeah, right. Yeah, where the um... The futuristic the future yeah the yeah. future issues yeah I, I, yeah I liked all of those yeah and i like i like uh you know the, the tanahasi run and they each do different things 
uh, and they're each a reaction to, you know, whatever the zeitgeist of the moment is, that some of them do some things better than others and some do worse things. It's not like every issue of everything that I've done, I feel, is like equal. Honestly, even, I even like, um, you know, the, the pre- the pre-Brubaker stuff, because I did the four issues during Disassembled with mm -hmm. Robert Kirkman and, and Scott Eaton, uh, and, yeah. and I was doing the Captain America and the Falcon book, you know, before that with Priest, Priest. and Joe Bennett and uh, Bart Sears. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, I, 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 I tend to like all of that, but, you know, the stuff that looms the largest clearly is going to be uh, you know, Winter Soldier into Civil War Death of Cap, Death of the Dream. Yeah, and we just uh, we just one of our recent podcasts we uh, we reviewed the uh, Mark Wade Man Out of Time miniseries that I you love were that also series. involved with. Yeah, that was that was a, that was a good. Mark did a great job on that, as well awesome. as God, I'm forgetting the artist now too. I'm I'm blanking on guys' names today. Jorge Molina. Jorge Molina, right, right, of course. Um, yeah, so I I I like that one a lot too, and that was a. Uh, that was a, a very uh, typical Mark Wade series in a way, in that uh, you know, Mark is Mark is very good and very structure oriented. He's been doing this a long time, uh, but Mark has a has a a way of working, and and it works for him, so it, it works and it's good. Uh, which is you know Mark likes to jump off the cliff and then on the way down figure out how he's going to survive, <laughs> and and so you know we started that series and you know we had stuff very broadly like blocked out um and and uh, but we didn't necessarily know exactly how it was all going to end and how it was all going to come together and at a certain point mark hit on this notion of oh I, the, the first cap uh, kang story i'm gonna have kang send cap back to the 40s and i kind of went i don't know if that's a good idea and all um and and uh, but it all it all worked out and there was stuff that we did in the first issue that we could bring back full circle by the fifth and it all really looks like man they had every every instant of this thing meticulously planned out beforehand uh to which i say no no we we jumped <laughs> off the off the cliff and we we figured out how to land on the mattress truck that was driving by nice. uh, on the way on the way down <laughs> but it all worked out really nicely yeah, it did. It was a great series. And, and Mark Wade's certainly one of my favorite Captain America writers uh, over the years. Um, so it's it's obvious you still have a tremendous passion and love for comics industry. And and I highly recommend to all our listeners, go to TomBrevoort.com and, and you, you need to check out his website and all of the regular updates Tom provides, um, including his his thoughts on various periods of comics his uh, top five, top 10 lists, his, his favorite comics from each year. Uh, and, you know, like he said he started in 1973. Um, he, he has a great video series, um, in, including um, a series in, in the philosophy of editing comics. So in case you ever wanted to learn more about that. I mean, there's, there's so much comic goodness here to check out at, uh, at TomBrevoort.com. Um, in one of his videos, uh, Bob, I don't know if you saw this, which is um, top, top top five characters that should have remained dead. <laughs> and uh, I couldn't help but notice Bucky did not make that list. <laughs> surprise, well, I surprise. Could, I could hardly put Bucky on that list, being that I was the one you know, with, with, with Ed and everybody who brought him back. If I thought Bucky should stay dead, I, I would have left him dead. Right. 
Uh, and, and here's a little teaser. If you want to one, I'll give away one of the five, but everybody yeah. to go yeah. watch the rest. Um, uh, Jean Grey. Jean Grey, according to Tom, should have remained dead. And, and then he tells you why. Uh, so it's fun stuff. Fun stuff. Um, other than your website, what is uh, the best way for fans to, to reach you? Um, well, I'm on, I'm on Twitter. You know, I'm Tom Brevoort on Twitter. I'm, I've got, uh, I'm on Facebook. Mm-hmm. I'm on Tumblr. I'm on Instagram. I'm all over the place doing stuff. I'm on YouTube with the YouTube channel, which is usually connected to the TomBrevoort.com. I'll mm-hmm. post stuff there, you know, on a, on a, on a day-to-day and, you know, 280 character level, Twitter is probably the easiest, um, you know, for stuff that's a little more substantive probably the tombreport.com or the youtube is, is where you want to go tom wait what, do, do you not sleep because you're <laughs> like the busiest you're like the busiest man of comics man i it, you, i mean your productive output uh is yeah, is, yeah is impressive. but but, but uh, it's also at this point my 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 office is my house and has been for a year so uh you know it's it's not like i have a two-hour commute anymore like i used to so something's got to fill that space yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I meant to ask you about that. You know, uh, you know, I grew up in Delaware and I know you went to University of Delaware. Where did, where did you grow up? I grew up, I mean, I was born in, on, on Long Island in Queens uh, and lived there till I was 14, 15. And my family relocated to Delaware. Uh, my dad worked for the Chase Manhattan Bank and, you know, all, all the companies were incorporated in Delaware and that was mm-hmm. starting to go on then. And so they opened up a new, like, uh, uh, you know, headquarters or office there, and he was transferred to Delaware. Uh, and so, you know, I did most of high school in Delaware and then, you know, went to college in Delaware. Okay. Yeah. And and you and I went to the same comic book store. That would be uh, Captain, Captain Blue Hen. Hen. Still, the, still there, Captain Blue Hen. I know. God love him. Yeah. On, uh, I, I remember the, uh, the old brick building that was on Main Street. You know, yeah. that's when I first started going there. And uh, was it Paul? Paul? Yes. Was the... Yeah, uh, Paul yeah. Stivic. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so he was, a, uh, he was a teacher at, at Newark High School, mm-hmm. science teacher, I think it was. That was his day job, and, and he did the comics uh, on the sideline and the side hustle. Yeah, well, uh, I gotta say, uh, thanks so much for joining the show, Tom. It's been a, a real delight having you on, and, and certainly a great conversation. Sure, well, happy to happy to be here. You know, we'll have to do it again at some point. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, and and good luck uh, next week uh, with your last (laughs) issue of Captain America. You'll be missed. Well, thank you. Yeah. All right, that was one heck of a conversation. Always love chatting comics uh, with with guests, and uh, Tom Tom didn't disappoint. Yeah, I mean, it's educational on a number of fronts, right? I mean, we've got a lot of good background information and little hints of what may be happening in the future. But I mean, it's also cool for, you know, a guy like me, I've been reading comics for years and years and years, but like, I don't know. I mean, I never really paid much attention to what editors did, right? I mean, sure, the writers and the pencilers, the colorists and the inkers, but you know, what do editors do, right? I mean, they just make sure the grammar is right. I mean, I, I you know, yeah. I, I thought that was a proofreader, right? Uh, that's what I know from editing as an academic. But like, man, this guy, the editors do a lot. So that was educational for me to like hear how the sausage is made. Yes, you know, it's funny too. I, I look back on the path that I took career-wise, right? And uh, certainly no regrets. Um, but, you know, it's funny, like, I, again, we were at the college at the same time. He went and did an internship at Marvel. His life turned out one way. I have always been in comics one way or another. Uh, I started off 
uh, doing, I, I actually promoted shows for a little while. I had some, some one day uh, cons that I did. Um, well, actually I, I started off um, selling comics at, at cons. Then I started promoting uh, cons. Um, then I had a, uh, a store for a little bit in Alabama. Uh, then I um, was fortunate enough to, to launch an e-commerce website uh, before eBay got too big and, and to took away all my customers. Um, and I had an e-commerce store. I mean, uh, where I, I shipped out over 10,000 orders. Um, I've, then I had a retail store uh, for many years um, in Atlanta. And then when I, I had to sell the, the e-commerce store, I had to sell the, the, the retail store. I, I, I was uh, on the publishing side with uh, Avatar Press uh, as the director of marketing, doing that for a little bit. And then I, um, and then I, you know, got out of that and got a real job, as my ex-wife would say, and uh, would uh, just kind of now dabble, right? I, I, I buy and sell comics, uh, you know, online. Um, and then, and then the fan part of me, you know, with this Facebook group and and this podcast, I feel like I'm still in it somehow, some way, uh, on a, on some level. Uh, because I, I, it's in my blood. I can't, I can't get out of, uh, of, of comics. It's like the mafia, right? Even when you think you're out, they pull you back in. I can't quit it. <laughs> <laughs> but we're happy to have you, Rick. Happy uh, to have you aboard. I tell you, man, it is, it is a passion. No, no doubt. And it's fun talking with other passionate people like yourself, Bob, like Tom, and like uh, so many members of our, our Facebook group. So um, all right, let's talk about uh, real quick what we're going to talk about in our next podcast, episode 36. We're going to go back. We're going to go way back, back way, way back. Yeah. Uh, let's go back to Tales of Suspense number 58, which is the first issue with Captain America in Tales of Suspense, where um, it's a, and this is before the story becomes split in 59, where you have uh, one Iron Man story and one Captain America story. In 58, it's a, uh, it's a story starring Captain America and Iron Man. Um, so let's do that one. Yeah, that's a good one. I mean, that one, that one really takes you back. Uh, there's a lot of sentimentality over that uh, Tales of Suspense run and for good reason. Um, and yeah, a lot of love for it. So I think, yeah, I think it's due. All right, let's do that one. 12 cent issue. All right. Uh, as always, Bob, so much fun. Rapid cap with you. Yep. Yep. Let's do it again soon. All right. I'm Rick Verbanis. He's Bob Lucius. And you've been listening to the Captain America comic book fans podcast. <music> Oh, you do it in Red Skull's voice. We always, that, we always find that one good. <laughs> <laughs> Schwein hunt. <laughs> you see a star. Captain America comic fans podcast. Octo Lieber. Awesome. All I right. love it. All right. <laughs>